0: Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Okay, big announcement to make at the top of this episode. The dates for CanMed 2021 have changed. This year's event will take place September 29th through October 1st at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. The CanMed Medical Practicum will be held on Wednesday, followed by the full conference on Thursday and Friday. This decision was made after careful evaluation and consideration by our management team and various state officials, and it was done in the interest of safety so that we can hold a safe, in-person CanMed event. All sponsors and speakers announced thus far have been notified of this change, and we will continually update CanMedevents.com should conditions change. Any current ticket holders who are not able to make the new dates can receive a 100% ticket refund. Go to CanMetEvents.com COVID-19 for details. With that out of the way, let's get to today's guest, Professor Raphael Machulam. Professor Machulam is the first researcher to isolate THC and CBD. For that achievement and the decades of research into the endocannabinoid system that followed, Professor Machulam is often called the godfather of cannabis research. Since his research began in the early 60s, Professor Machulam has received numerous academic awards, most recently the Harvey Prize from the Technion Israel Institute of Technology, In the human health category it's a pretty big deal when you consider more than 30 percent of harvey laureates since 1986 have gone on to receive the nobel prize professor mitchulam has presented at every CanMed event either in person or via submitted video and he is the chair of our scientific advisory board in our conversation we discuss professor mitchulam's incredible career the disappointing lack of cannabis medicine clinical trials The surprising fact that the two major endocannabinoids, anandamide and 2-AG, have never been administered to humans, the challenges of researching the entourage effect, the benefits of cannabinoid acids, the newly discovered anandamide-like compounds that could be used to treat addiction, and much more. Before we get to that conversation, I would like to thank this episode's sponsor, Cannabis Science and Technology. Cannabis Science and Technology focuses on educating the legal cannabis industry about the science and technology of analytical testing, quality control and assurance, extraction, cultivation, and processing and manufacturing. In October, Cannabis Science and Technology launched a new brand, Cannabis Patient Care, which is an educational resource for patients, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and caregivers on the latest research, benefits, and treatment options cannabis provides for a variety of illnesses. Go to CannabisSciencetech.com to learn more. And lastly, it wouldn't be the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast without some good coffee. And for that, we always turn to the Hemp and Coffee Exchange. If you don't know, hemp coffee is a healthy, delicious, natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients. Providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DrinkHemp to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Professor Raphael Machulam. Good evening, Professor Merchulam. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. First, I want to congratulate you on the Harvey Prize that you recently won for your life's work on the endocannabinoid system. Very well-deserved and, dare I say, long overdue. Um, You've mentioned in the past that there was really not a lot of interest in exploring cannabis when you first got started in the 60s. But what about cannabis inspired you to start uh, investigating it?
1: Well, you see, the chemistry and pharmacology of uh, morphine, cocaine, the other major uh, addictive drugs, um, these were known starting from the 19th century, not only the chemistry, but extensive pharmacology, extensive knowledge. This was not the case of cannabinoids. And the reason was that, well, there is a chemical reason, it's a, a really a big mixture, very difficult to isolate the compounds, and two uh, uh, chemists, uh, uh, major figures in the um, chemical field uh, um, had worked in the 30s, early 40s, and um, because of the war, they stopped. And uh, later on, it was not taken up, probably also because of legal reasons. very difficult for an academic lab to work on compounds that are legally restricted. Uh, One probably has to have somebody looking around to see that students don't uh, take it or whatever. Anyway, very, very, there was one group, not a major group in Germany, that was working and uh, maybe a few others. But essentially, it was a a, um, field that uh, nobody was working then. Although, as I said, morphine and cocaine, chemistry, pharmacology, clinical, trials were well known um, uh, decades previously. So I thought it's a a good idea to go ahead. And I was lucky that I could get a hold of uh, cannabis. I assumed that I wouldn't have been able to do that in the US because of legal reasons. And here I just uh, uh, went to the police after a phone call from uh, the administrative head of my uh, my institute, uh, I will, they asked, can they depend on me? And he, without even knowing me, said, of course you can depend on Mishulam. So I went there, they gave me five kilos of hashish, and we started work. I doubt, very much doubt, whether I would have been able to do that in most other places.
0: Sure. And so you've mentioned that there was a lot of work going into other drugs, like morphine or, or heroin. And, um, how come there was no... There was no concern studying those drugs, but there it, there was with cannabis.
1: Well, I was not interested in those. Uh, you see, I didn't have a, a group uh, doing research. I had to do that um, with my own hands and uh, a friend of mine, the two of us, Yechiel um, uh, Gaoni, were close friends, and this was it. So we couldn't uh, uh, compete with major groups working in anything else. Uh, we Uh, I thought that the best idea is to work on topics that uh, uh, we can do without uh, without having a major group, without having a lot of money to do it.
0: So now, you started studying in the 1960s, and when you did that, did you think that you would still be working on cannabis today or that we would be where we are today?
1: No, not, not really. I thought that we'll do the chemistry uh, for a couple of years, and um, uh, that was it. Then it turned out that we always found new and new topics of uh, uh, quite of a lot of interest. So we had to move uh, along all the time. And uh, so the beginning in the sixties, uh, early seventies, worked mostly in the chemistry. Then under uh, pharmacology and metabolism. Then A little bit later, or quite a bit later, uh, it was realized that there are receptors. So, we went ahead and looked for compounds that are formed in the animal body, animal brain if you wish, and we found that yes, there are specific compounds that add. And here we had a new physiological system, a completely new physiological system. Nobody had uh, done anything on it because it was not known and it turned out that it is uh, of major interest. As a matter of fact, people at NIH wrote a review at that time, I remember, and uh, wrote that uh, the endocannabinoid system is involved in almost all human diseases. Now that's a very, very, uh, 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 it's a thing that one cannot really accept so easily. Even the major, neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin one cannot say that they're involved in essentially all human diseases now this being the case there there is a lot of work so we went ahead doing all, uh, a lot of additional chemistry additional pharmacology to a large extent uh, 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 clinical trials to the that we could do and uh, so it uh, developed and expanded and uh, and uh, that was it. Uh-huh.
0: Now, you, you say it's sort of hard to imagine that the endocannabinoid system is involved in every um, disease or every body system. Um, and it is quite amazing. To what extent is it involved, though? Is it essential or is it sort of just a, a contributor?
1: Well, it seems we don't know about all diseases, certainly, but it, it is definitely involved in many, many of them, and uh, so uh, I can't really define whether in a certain disease is the central one or not. We have to go and uh, look at uh, each one of them, and uh, but it is. Now, we also have a problem, a major problem, and uh, it is that not, and the two uh, endogenous cannabinoids that we discovered uh, an endobite and 2-AG, uh, they have never been administered to a human. So um, uh, what happens is that uh, we can only say, well it works in mice in a model of a human disease and so on. So we have a problem there. But that's uh, where we stand, but even so there is a lot, a lot of work. Our paper in which we described uh, uh, the isolation identification of anandamide has been cited uh, more than six thousand times, which is very unusual uh, for a paper. And the same is true for 2A-G, two, two three thousand times being cited. So there, there is a lot of interest in a, uh, in whatever these compounds do, or whatever they are involved into.
0: So that. That shocked me when I learned that anandamide and 2-AG have never actually been administered to humans. What is the reason for that, especially when there's plenty of examples of cannabinoids, which are, you know, uh, created by the plant to sort of mimic these compounds have been administered. Why not the real thing?
1: Well, I can only imagine. See, in order for a compound to be administered to a human, one has to do a lot of uh, preliminary things. A lot of toxicology of a lot of other things and uh, uh, for example a drug in order to be administered uh, to a human one has to spend a lot a lot of money and this is done usually by uh, by companies well there is no company in, involved because uh, there are no patents in these compounds uh, and if we had patents they would uh, we publish these things in the uh, early 90s, so that's uh, far away. And so no uh, pharmaceutical company is interested. And the governments do not do that. So here we have a strange situation, which a uh, compound, which is not toxic, or two compounds, which are not toxic, which are uh, very much involved in our physiology, uh, which have a lot of uh, uh, effects that are very relevant to, to what uh, we're doing. Uh, these compounds have never been tested in humans. Strange, but uh, uh, that's it. Now I can't do it because we don't uh, have the, the amount of money needed for that. We don't do toxicology and these things cost uh, uh, millions. So there we are, strange situation, but there we are.
0: Wow. That almost seems criminal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it seems like a, a tremendous opportunity um, missed and that someone should really take up that that mantle.
1: Well, what companies are doing, they are trying to work on the enzymes that synthesize anandamide into AG. Hmm. Uh, they can uh, block, uh, and so the, uh, the body doesn't make anandamide. Or on the contrary, they block the enzymes that uh, uh, metabolize anandamide and 2 he So the levels of anandamide and 2-AG go up. So here we have something that uh, is done, not straightforward, a little bit uh, 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 in a strange way. Or for example, uh, a runner, if somebody runs and uh, gets exhausted by running, so one would expect him to be, well, kind of, uh, uh, well, uh, not very happy. No, <laughs> we know that uh, there is a, a runner's happiness or something like that. And this is due to the enhancement of anandamide. If a person does a lot of uh, uh, physical exercise, the the anandamide goes up and the person is uh, in a better mood. So this is kind of not a direct way of uh, uh, increasing anandamide. Or if one gives cannabidiol, uh, a group of uh, uh, found that if one administers very high doses of cannabidiol, uh, in this case to schizophrenic patients, uh, the cannabidiol acts on the schizophrenia. It's a pretty good anti-schizophrenic compound, but its effect is also an anandamide. Anandamide goes up uh, quite a bit. Maybe there's the mechanism, the effect, but it goes up. So this is one way of changing the levels of anandamide in the body.
0: That's great. Um, And as a runner myself, I can say that um, I get healthy doses of anandamide after every run, which... um, which keeps me coming back for more.
1: You smile after that.
0: (laughs) Of course, yeah, I love it. Good. Um, So I was hoping we could maybe take a step back for maybe people who aren't so familiar with the endocannabinoid system. Could you give sort of a brief explanation of, you know, what are anandamide and 2-AG doing in the body? And why is it beneficial to have good levels of it?
1: Well, we don't have a a full picture of what they do, but... uh, Uh, most definitely they are the major uh, compounds in the body that uh, uh, stimulate the endocannabinoid system and uh, the endocannabinoid system is involved in a huge number of disease states so the body uh, produces an endomite when one has pain for example uh, without Um, an the pain will stay for a longer period of time so you get pain and then the body starts producing anandamite around the painful uh, place of the body and uh, the pain goes down or in the brain it acts on the uh, uh, pain effect in the brain after all if we have pain somewhere on the body the effect is uh, through the central nervous system so anandamite acts on pain as a matter of fact Uh, This is one of the major ways we lower pain. But anandamide uh, does not stay around for a very long time. It is produced when and where needed. Uh, It acts and it is more or less uh, broken down immediately. So the same is 2 for 2AG. So here we have a, a compound which is a reaction, if you wish. To uh, physiological states, and this is the and the same is for many other uh, disease
0: states. So it's really not produced unless there is some sort of uh, stress or some sort of stimulus. That's... Well,
1: not stress, obviously, but also it's part of our uh, individuality. If you wish, uh, some people are, uh, have a. I mean, there is a difference in personality. And one of the reasons for the difference in personality is the endocannabinoids. Um, a person with a, let's say, a happier personality may have more anandamide than a person that's, uh, that is not. So it has to do with what we are.
0: Excellent. And now, so where does cannabis play into this? What are the compounds in cannabis that sort of mimic the effects of anandamide in 2-AG?
1: Well, I don't believe that the plant uh, really wanted to do anything to us. Um, it uh, produces cannabis noise because of uh, its own needs. You see, we are not different from most animals in our physiology. Our physiology contains a lot of compounds, hormones, neurotransmitters, and so on. But also, so does a horse, a pig, whatever. This is not true for plants. Plants don't have uh, the same uh, chemical uh, thing as uh, other plants. Every family of plants, or almost every family of plants, produces different compounds that act for them. For example, a certain plant is uh, attacked by uh, some insects over the, the years, over the ages, uh, the plant has produced, has started producing compounds against their specific enemies. And so every plant family has its own group of compounds, which in many cases are specific for that plant or for that plant family. And so uh, with the can- cannabis uh, group of, com- of uh, plants, there are two or three, they make compounds of this type. No other plant does it. Only plants that belong to um, this particular family of, uh, 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 of plants. So uh, they uh, they are produced for their own reason. We're not exactly sure why they produce them. Whether it has to do with uh, something to do with the soil they were originally grown on, or it's something that has to do with uh, fungi or microbes. Uh, we have seen that uh, uh, some of these compounds have anti-microbial uh, effects and so on. So we don't know exactly why uh, cannabis makes the compounds, but it does. And these compounds are specific, and there are about a hundred of them. The two or three are the major ones, and uh, there we stand.
0: Excellent. and. In preparation for this conversation, I went back and, and watched your CAMED 2019 presentation, which I will put in the show notes for everyone else to enjoy as well. And at one point, you were very, uh, very vocal about the need for more clinical trials um, in, in terms of whether it's cannabis medicine or cannabis-based medicine or even the endocannabinoid system. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to some of the clinical trials that have happened and um, If there were to be more future ones, where should researchers sort of focus their efforts, in your opinion?
1: Well, quite frankly, it's a shame. It's really a shame that we don't have more clinical trials. Uh, A huge, huge number of people take cannabinoids or take a plant extract uh, for a variety of diseases. In most cases, without clinical trials, Uh, we know that uh, Cannabinoids act on pain. But pain is not a single uh, a, a symptom of a disease. Many, there, there is pain from the different parts in the body and so on. We don't have large uh, clinical trials. A lot of people take cannabis for uh, cancer. Well, first of all, cancer is not a single disease. There are many types of cancers. And uh, so, there, is, there aren't any real major clinical trials with cannabinoids. Let me close the door, please. Sure. Sorry, I didn't want the noise from the other rooms to, to be heard. And um, so people are taking Cannabis for cancer, without really any background, real background. It's, it's a shame. Does the, the THC or CBD uh, act uh, better on uh, one cancer rather than another one? Uh, glioma cancer in the brain is not the same as a uh, uh, cancer of any other organ. they different types, and we don't know. Just people are taking them because. They've heard that uh, that helps. We're the 21st century. It should not be that way. And uh, and the reason is that clinical trials today, in the Western world at least, are uh, undertaken by companies. Governments are not uh, doing clinical trials. But in this case, companies are not involved because there are no patents, and the company does not want to spend many millions of uh, Uh, dollars or pounds, whatever, uh, just to try something in for a publication. So here we have a situation which is unacceptable. Uh, I believe that the governments, through their ministries of health or whatever, should do clinical trials because nobody else is doing them. And uh, NIH normally does not do clinical trials. In this case, I believe that NIH should do clinical trials in order to know where we stand. A lot of people say that uh, uh, cannabis can cure uh, cancer. Well, I'm not sure. It acts on cancer, it blocks uh, in in animals um, uh, cancer development, so it has been shown that uh, cannabinoids can prolong the life of people that have a certain type of cancer. There is no proof that it's a uh, anti-cancer drug. Um, I believe that it, it just it helps along, but it's not anti-cancer drug. But we all these things have to be uh, investigated in human patients and not in uh, in animals. There we are.
0: Wow. So it seems like a common theme here. There's just not. <laughs> the investment from companies to look into it because there's not a lot of uh, opportunity for them to make money on it. Um, so I think what we need is some philanthropic person to just donate a, a whole pile of money to investigate these things.
1: Yes, all governments. I mean, sure. after all, uh, millions are using cannabis. The government should uh, probably uh, look into a problem that's uh, uh, a wide problem, not uh, a few individuals. We're speaking of millions.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we need to we need to get them on board with decriminalizing it and descheduling it first. So I guess baby steps. Um, and I imagine another thing that's sort of complicating the uh, the ability to do real good research into the effects of cannabis medicine is this whole idea of the entourage effect. Um, so I wonder if you'd speak a bit to that.
1: Well, uh, most uh, cannabis users say that uh, in total extract of cannabis is much better for them individually than the specific uh, cannabinoid CBD or THC or whatever. And um, it seems that this is true. And we have done a few uh, uh, investigations in this uh, along this line and yes we have seen that apparently the extract contains compounds that affect uh, the um, THC or CBD actions and I'm again sorry to say that although this is widely accepted and the term entourage effect which we coined uh, 20 years ago is widely used but there are again no trials with uh, even in animals we don't know uh, whether uh, all the terpenes that are in, that are present in, in cannabis uh, uh, together as a group uh, have to do with the entourage effect or only two or three um, have specific effects, uh, we don't know and it's a pity because we could have uh, much better cannabis if we uh, had uh, the correct knowledge.
0: And I got to imagine a a compounding complication there is just um, the variability in different cannabis strains or even, you know, plant to plant of the same strain could have, you know, different concentrations of different compounds just based on how that plant is, um, is grown. So I would imagine in order to do some real research into what combination of cannabinoids is contributing to this effect, you need sort of standardized formulations to look into something like that.
1: Most definitely we, um, for example, one can imagine that, um, taking THC with uh, two or three or four well-defined terpenes or flavonoids is better than THC itself, maybe. But all this has to be uh, investigated. And it has not been investigated. The number of terpenes is uh, quite large. We know the structures, are, we know the, uh, what terpenes are present although they differ of course from cannabis sativa and cannabis indica and so on and uh, indeed uh, uh, in in Israel at least cannabis patients or uh, people that take cannabis usually take cannabis indica uh, in the evening and cannabis sativa in the morning because of the different effects but we don't have enough uh, data to say why
0: um, so we're getting getting close to the end here, I did want to give you an opportunity to speak about what research you're doing now.
1: Well, uh, we are working now mostly on anandamide-like compounds. Mm. And uh, we've published that uh, uh, our body, uh, in addition to anandamide, makes a lot of compounds which are closely, chemically closely related to anandamide. Anandamide is a uh, fatty acid bound to a derivative amino acid and the body has uh, (coughs) uh, quite a few fatty acids and quite a few amino acids and so it makes a lot of these compounds we have about uh, uh, I don't know something like a hundred compounds of this type Mm -hmm. and they're not made by the body because it has nothing else to do they're made for a specific purpose so we found and we is always uh, collaboration with uh, pharmacologists and clinicians found that it uh, uh, one of these compounds is very helpful in brain damage. Another compound we found is uh, a very efficient in osteoporosis. And over the last few years, again, uh, a few groups of friends, a group in the US, a group in Canada, a group in Italy, and our group, together we are working on addiction. The mechanism of addiction is not actually well known. For many years, it was believed that addiction is the psychological effect only and that's it. Well, no, over the last 15 years, 20 years, it has been recognized that addiction is actually a kind of a disease and there are all kinds of changes that happen in the body and we don't know much about it. So we started looking together for the changes that happen and we were uh, quite surprised to find a compound that um, our body makes and tries to block nicotine addiction. We started working on nicotine addiction and uh, uh, have moved to opiate addiction and we found that there is a compound, again an like compound. It's a compound uh, made from oleic acid and glycine, two very Well-known compounds. So it's uh, the amide of uh, oleic acid with uh, glycine, and uh, OG oleyl glycine blocks nicotine addiction. It doesn't always succeed, but it blocks nicotine addiction. The body makes it. What's interesting, probably even more important, that this particular compound we found uh, blocks the withdrawal effects of both nicotine addiction and, much more important, of opiate addiction. And this was quite a surprise. Uh, many uh, addicts uh, are afraid to stop uh, uh, using uh, opiates uh, because of the withdrawal. They are very afraid of the withdrawal, which is a, uh, a really a very painful state. So uh, here we have a compound that our body makes may not enough, but it makes, and in animals at least, uh, blocks the withdrawal of nicotine, uh, uh, the withdrawal effects of both nicotine and uh, opiates. So I hope that uh, this will be investigated by a company. As a company, as a matter of fact, uh, has been funding a part of our efforts in this field, of uh, all four groups. And uh, I hope that uh, we can contribute something quite practical, uh, which is far away from the cannabis in the plant, but it's still closely related to anandamide. So I hope that uh, this is something that will happen. We also work on derivatives on cannabidiol. Cannabidiol, uh, we didn't speak about it too much. It's an interesting compound. It has a lot, a lot of effects. Uh, all of them positive, almost all of them positive, and uh, it works in uh, a lot of disease states. Uh, And uh, we thought that maybe we can make a more potent uh, uh, cannabidiol. Uh, Cannabidiol in schizophrenia, as I mentioned to you, uh, has to be administered uh, very high doses, about 800 milligrams a day Uh, acts on schizophrenia, at least that was published by a group uh, in Germany. So we thought that maybe we can make more potent cannabidiols. And yes, we have synthesized quite a lot of, and published, quite a lot of cannabidiol derivatives. And some of them are indeed better than cannabidiol itself. And the company, or two companies, are uh, working on cannabidiol derivatives.
0: Wow, um, if we could go back just for a minute to talk about, about um, those anandamide-like compounds, is it possible that, um, that you know, um, there'll be other compounds in cannabis that are closely related to that, much like um, uh, happens with anandamide and uh, THC?
1: Well, uh Anandamite and THC are almost equivalent in their activity, although it's a like completely different chemically, hmm. but their activity is, uh, is closely related. The major difference is that the uh, is broken down almost immediately. And so we don't see in animals the same effect that we see with THC, but uh, the effect, the basic effect is essentially the same. Uh, do we have compounds uh, uh, let's say CBD acting like an endocannabinoid well they are different but maybe maybe cannabidiol is uh, uh, mimicking maybe it mimics one of the endocannabinoids which have not been well investigated I said only anandamide and 2-AG have been investigated quite quite a few additional compounds so maybe here we have something to, that has to be discovered.
0: All right. Still lots of work to be done, I'm sure. And another thing that I, that jumped out to me when you were talking was this need for collaboration and working with all these different types of groups, which um, is very near and dear to our hearts here at at CanMed. Um, And it's what we try to do every year is bring together um, everyone who's, Working on this plant or working on this problem and, and bringing them together so we can push everything forward. So um, it, it's good to see that uh, we're on the same page with that.
1: Well, in my view, it's essential. I like working with uh, with friends, with colleagues, and uh, it's essential. That all the problems that come up with anandamide, with cannabinoids, their chemistry, their pharmacological effect, uh, their clinical effects, and so on. Uh, n- there isn't a single group that can do all these things uh, um, simultaneously. So the best thing is to do it with uh, with colleagues and friends. And we, uh, well, when there were meetings, are uh, not any more personal meetings because right. of the corona. But uh, we used to sit together, uh, drink a lot of coffee, shout, shout at each other. Well, not throw uh, stones at each other, but shout at each other. And at the end, come up with a suggestion together uh, how to do that. And the addiction thing is uh, probably typical. Uh, w- the compound was ident- the compound or, or that acts on addiction was identified by a group in Italy, my good friend Dimaso. Uh, it was investigated in quite a lot of details in Canada a group in uh, uh in the US is also doing work on it and we've been uh, doing the the chemistry so i don't believe that a single group can do that
0: absolutely uh with a problem this big it's going to take all of us um, so i know where the problem I, I, is I, I to
1: have the problem is to have good friends and colleagues
0: <laughs> absolutely and hopefully we can um, we can create a venue to create new friends and colleagues at CanMed. So um, Professor Matulam, I want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for everything you've done to help CanMed over you, the years. In your questions, I, uh, first of all, thank you very much. In your questions, you asked about the cannabinoid acids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you If you have the time, I'd love to learn more about that.
1: Well, you see the plant doesn't produce THC or CBD. The plant produces their precursors which are cannabinoid acids which are not stable. As soon as they are produced they slowly break down and there is a cannabidiolic acid which forms cannabidiol, THC acid which forms THC. So these acids have not been investigated thoroughly because they are not stable and are a researcher cannot really work with unstable compounds because he doesn't know whether the effects are due to the original compound or the compound that has been formed. But uh, so we managed to stabilize uh, cannabidiolic acid, and we worked with a stable cannabidiolic acid, and it turned out that it is of a considerable importance. It has a lot of effects and companies uh, looking at these effects and so on. It has to do, again, in collaboration. uh, We found all these things. It has to do with uh, anxiety. It has to do with uh, some other um, effects of this type, but it also has to do with uh, uh, pain and inflammation. And so there is a lot of work going on now in in my lab, together with friends. And I believe that these compounds may turn out to be uh, as important as CBD and THC, hopefully.
0: Now, is it that they are uh, more effective at doing the same thing that the non-acid forms um, do, or is it's, it a just completely different effect?
1: No, no, they seem to be more or less uh, as CBD. For example, CBD acid, the stable CBD acid, has turned out to be a very, uh, very powerful in pain more powerful than cbd by far more hmm. powerful than cbd and a colleague in canada published that and he found it uh, uh, it's uh, many many times more powerful than uh, cbd but surprisingly he found it it acts better in or, or essentially only in male mice but not in female mice and i don't know hmm. why
0: wow well that's certainly interesting so it could be that we see more um, CBDA mar- um, products on the market in the coming years?
1: Well, I hope so. A company is uh, working on those compounds and uh, they support some of our work and they, uh, they're trying to develop uh, uh, these compounds, at least uh, maybe some derivatives of these compounds. And uh, I have not seen any toxic effects. So I believe that these compounds may uh, reach the public as uh, official drugs in a few years. I hope so.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to discuss?
1: No. It, uh, it, as you mentioned at the beginning, we thought that it's a small project, and it, it has turned out to be a major project. And when we it work, there was nobody working. Now there are uh, probably hundreds of, of researchers people that develop them people that sell these compounds and uh, so one never knows exactly what will happen when one starts a new project but what i when students come up to me and say what should i choose to work on uh, a new faculty member i always say start with a problem that nobody else is working on you have a better chance of succeeding than being just one of a major group of uh, researchers that are uh, doing work on something that's reasonably well-known.
0: Certainly good advice. Um, All right, well, thank you again, Professor Mishulam, for taking the time. You're most welcome. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Professor Raphael Machulum. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsor, Cannabis Science and Technology. Our next episode will drop February 10th. In the meantime, please go to canmedevents.com slash coffee talk and sign up for email updates. That will enter you into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2021 VIP dinner and keep you up to date with all things CanMed 2021. If social media is your thing, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed events. And lastly, if you are listening via a podcast app, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so that new episodes automatically download to your device. And please leave us a five-star review as well. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of Med Coffee Talk.